All right. Well, so glad to be with y'all. Rebecca has begun to refer to um, where we're studying as famous Amos. And so um, Amos's words aren't very famous, though, to most because they are hard words. And the word that I have for us tonight is a hard word, but I pray a delivering word and a word that has been delivering me this week. So if you'll turn with me, we are finally to Amos chapter 2. So if you're in the church's Bible, we will be on page 1056. So tonight we will study the six of the Lord's judgments, which is against the nation of Moab. So, um, Roger, if you don't mind to go ahead and put the first map up here, and we will, we will recap a little like we did last week. So we are on the sixth tonight, so you remember the first judgment was against Damascus and against their cruelty. The second was against Gaza and their exploitation and selling into slavery. The third was against Tyre for their betrayal of the covenant against their brothers. The third was against Edom and for their enmity, their anger, their wrath, their lack of compassion. Last week we studied about Ammon and their murder their cruel murder of women and their children for gaining more land in Gilead, largely, not largely, as a result of the three tribes of Israel who wanted their own way. So tonight we'll study about Moab. And you can see on this map here that Moab is right here. Moab is to the east of Judah, over the Dead Sea, and really to the southeast of Israel. And we'll study about Moab's contempt. So if you'll turn with me, we'll read in Amos chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Amos says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. But I will send a fire upon Moab and shall devour the palaces of Kiriath. Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting and trumpet sound, and I will cut off the judge from its midst and slay all its princes with him, says the Lord. So like last week, we can see these, these nations that have now surrounded Israel. Next week we'll study about Judah, but, but all but Judah have now surrounded Israel, have been at war and conflict with Israel, and God has brought judgment both from and to Israel and against all of these nations for their atrocities. So tonight we're studying specifically the judgment that is against Moab, but as we read, also involves Edom. 
So as we think about what we're fixing to study, we should consider that this is the sixth judgment. And with each, they have gotten closer and more heinous and more evil. And so what we're going to read about tonight is even more evil than the last five that we have studied. So last week we studied about the Ammonites. And tonight we'll study about the Moabites. And so the Ammonites and the Moabites, we remember, are descendants from Lot. We remember that Ben-Ami, where we get Ammon, means son of kin. And that Moab means from my father. Mo means from, and Ab means father. And so both of these peoples are from the incestuous relationship of Lot and his daughters. So a few weeks before, we studied about Edom. Edom is also in our story. And we remember that Israel and Edom are the nations that descended from the twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau. Edom comes from Esau. Also, Edom is a nation that is consistently at conflict with Israel in the Old Testament. So these nations... Ammon and Moab are kin to Israel, and they are constantly at war with Israel, and Edom as well. So I should have said that Ammon and Moab and Edom are all three kin to Israel through Abraham, and all three are nations at war with Israel, in conflict with Israel. So let's look at this this single verse here again. Chapter 2, verse 1, to understand what we'll study about tonight. It says, For three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. Now, if we just read this, we might misunderstood that Israel doesn't seem to be a part of this story, right? I mean, these are judgments against other nations that have afflicted Israel But this one says it is against Moab because they have burned the bones of the king of Edom. So we must understand what is is leading up to this understanding here. So if you turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. So if you're in the church's Bible, it will be on page 423. And as we turn there, um, Roger, if you don't mind to go to the second map, I, I've got a map for us tonight and a few, um, a few lines that will hopefully provide some context even before we, uh, we go ahead to look at chapter 3. So I've pointed out the major, I guess, characters or players that we're fixing to read about. They have similar names, they're from close nations, and so I want to go through them a bit beforehand, so as we read, it will help give some context to the story. So there are four that we'll study about in particular. There is Misha, who is the king of Moab. And one thing I'll tell you is that Misha is the son of, I guess I should look here. Well, that's not important, who Misha is the son of. I'm sorry. So Misha is the king of Moab. 
The next is Jehoram, who is the king of Israel. Now, Jehoram is the son of Ahab. Now, you remember some of the things that we've studied. Ahab was kind of a central figure in the story that we studied about Elijah and others. So, Jehoram is the son of the great and evil king Ahab. And at the time, he is the king of Israel. The next character that's important is Jehoshaphat. And he is the king in Judah. So you remember the nations of Israel and Judah are split into two separate nations. And finally is the king of Edom. When we read in a moment, we're not told the specific name of the king of Edom because that's really not important, but it is the king of Edom at the time of these other three kings. And the final person who I didn't list on here is the prophet Elisha. So after Elijah, his successor would be Elisha. And Elisha is a central figure in this story. So we have the nation of Moab and its king, Mesha. We have the nation of Edom that we studied about a few weeks ago. And then we have Judah and Israel. So turn with me and let's read in chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 27. It reads, Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the eighteenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned twelve years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. I should say that's Ahab and Jezebel were his parents. Nevertheless, verse 3 says, He persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Now Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jeroham went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, By the way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route, roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So by one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elisha. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother, 
But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus says the Lord, Make the valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet the valley will be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and shall cut down every good tree, and stop up every spring of water, and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened in the morning, when the grain offering was offered, that suddenly water came by the way of Edom, and the land was filled with water. When the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms at the older, excuse me, and the older were gathered, and they stood at the border. When they rose up early in the morning and the sun was shining on the water, and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, This is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another, and now therefore Moab the spoil. So when they had come to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites, so that they fled before them, and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Then they destroyed the cities, and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. And they stopped up all the springs of water, and they cut down all the good trees. But they left the stones of Kir Haraseth intact. However, the slingers surrounded and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men and drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and he offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall, and there was great indignation against Israel. So they departed from him and returned to their own land. Okay, I know this is a long chapter, and there is a lot going on here. So I'm going to go through some of these things, and, and hopefully, even as we read this, just imagining some of these places on the map and some of these people were helpful. So um, I'll step off to the side here. So Jehoraham, who we just read about, is, is up here from Israel, and he is Ahab's son, right? So when Ahab dies and he takes over, Moab who at the time was called a vassal nation, which meant that they were in allegiance with Israel. So they paid taxes in exchange for protection and coverage by Israel. So at the time, Moab and Israel have an allegiance formed together. After Ahab dies, Misha, king of Moab, gets an idea. He will rebel against Israel and want his complete independence, take back his taxes, and no protection. Now you'll remember that Moab was one of the nations that God told Israel that they were not to harm, that they were not to go after, that they were not to bother. But that's not what's going on here. For Moab is rebelling 
and attacking against the allegiance that has been established between these two countries. So Jehoram, king of Israel, goes down and gathers all of the armies of Israel, it says. And then he goes down to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. And Judah and, and Israel are split at this point. But he goes down and he says, will you go to make war with me against Moab, who is attacking and rebelling against me? So Jehoshaphat says, you'll remember, your army shall be like mine and my army shall be like yours and we will go to war together. He says to Jehoshaphat, well, which way should we go, right? Because there's a couple of routes that they could take to come upon Moab. And Jehoshaphat says that we should go through the wilderness of Edom. So as they go through Edom, the king of Edom agrees to go to war with them against Moab. At this time, Jehoshaphat says, is there not, or excuse me, let me get this right. Who says it? Jehoshaphat, king of, it, king of Judah, says, should we not seek a prophet to hear a word from the Lord before we go into battle? Now he has come to agree with Jehoram, but he wants to seek a word from the Lord before they go into battle, right? So one of those that's in the camp of Israel says, Elisha. Elisha is the one who poured out the water on Elisha. He is the one that we want to come see. He is the one that will have a word from the Lord for us. So they go to Elisha, and Elisha says something really interesting. Let's see what verse this is says here in verse 13, Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, So the king of Israel is the one who's speaking to Elisha. And Elisha said to him, What have I to do with you? Now this may sound kind of weird. It might not sound how we would say it in English. We might say something like, What do you want? Who are you to me? But he says, What have I to do with you? Now think about who Jehoram, king of Israel, is. He is the son of Ahab. Ahab was the one who was at war with Elijah, who is Elisha's spiritual father. Elisha wants nothing to do with this man. And so he turns and he looks at Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, we should know, was one of the four kings, only four of Judah, who God called good. Who God called according to his purpose. Jehoshaphat was unlike Jehoram. Jehoshaphat was one who drove out idolatry from Judah to worship the Lord. So Elisha turns to him and he says, Only because you're here will I share with y'all. And then he gives him a word from the Lord. He says, He says, um, Bring a musician that I may hear from the Lord. And as the musician played he gave this word let's look at verse 18 because it's so amazing he says and this is a simple matter in the sight of the lord he will deliver the moab uh, the, he will deliver the moabites into your hand this is what we're to see about the battles of god's people whom he gives a word to that delivering the enemy into their hands is a simple thing for him and then he gives some really interesting instructions. He, he gives them understanding and direction. He says that first you're to make a valley full of ditches. There was a great valley in this area here. So if you think about a valley, right, a valley goes down. 
And so it would seem very bizarre to build small valleys in a large valley, right? To make ditches in a valley. But that's what Elisha told them to do. And then he says you're to attack every city and cut down every tree, stop up every spring, and ruin the land with stones. Verse 20 tells us that it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered. I love that God's people, even amongst war, are giving offerings before the Lord. When the grain offering was offered, that suddenly water came by way of Edom, and the land was filled with water. So Edom is to the south, and so water is coming from the south. right? But the writer mentions Edom for a reason. See, Edom is in this trio of God's plan for this battle. So the water doesn't just come from the south, but it comes by way of Edom from the south, and it fills this great valley. So what happens in these ditches is that these ditches are now able to give water and refreshing to the soldiers and to the animals and those who have been weary. But this water also, as the sun comes up, this is amazing that the sun is reflecting off of this water. And so the Moabites see it and think that it is filled with blood and that these three different nations that certainly should be at war are not. Well, they think they are. They think that they, that they you know, I guess I said that right. So they believe that these nations have come to war with each other. Moabites say, this is amazing. We will go down here and collect our spoils, their armor, their wealth, their animals, their possessions. So they go down there. And instead of taking the spoils, Israel is ready for them. They attack them and defeat Moab. So they do exactly as the word said from Elisha. They attack every city. They cut down the trees. They stop up the springs. They ruin the land with stones exactly as the Lord has said. So verse 26 it says, And when the king of Moab saw the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. So Moab, who originally is waging war with Israel, is now at war with Israel and Judah and Edom. So their goal in this battle, Moab, is to now take out Edom. It says they took 700 soldiers with swords and they went after Edom, but they could not. So verse 27 tells us what he does. Then Misha took his eldest son who would have reigned in his place and he offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall and there was great indignation against Israel. So they departed from him and returned to their own land. So Misha then takes his son, who is to succeed him, and he offers him as a sacrifice. You'll remember that these nations that we've talked about, Ammon and Moab and Edom, really all fall into this place of pagan worship that they may even offer their own children as sacrifices to the god Molech and to others. Finally, it says there was great indignation against Israel. Okay. So what is all going on here? Because this seems like a lot, right? Moab saw an opportunity to break their allegiance with Israel and rebelled against them. Three armies that were not necessarily eating at the same table, Israel and Judah and Edom, went to war with them. Elisha gave a word to these three leaders and to these armies that he would give them victory 
and the Lord did. Now Moab tried to specifically target and kill the king of Edom. So let's turn back now to Amos chapter 2. If you're in the church's Bible, it will be on page 1056. So chapter 2, verse 1 says, For three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. So this is really the, the, the two people that we just read about at the very end of chapter 3 of Kings, that Moab went after the king of Edom. Now it doesn't say there that he was able to catch him. So there isn't a scripture that details this exactly, that the king of Moab, Misha, was, was to burn the king of Edom's bones. But scholars say that although it didn't happen in the, in the chapter we just read, that there is evidence that indeed the king of Moab would go on, likely right after that battle, after Israel and Judah had then begun to make their ways back to their nations, when the king of Edom was without the support of those who had come with him, and that the king of Moab would go and murder the king of Edom and burn his bones. So as I've been studying this story and, and reading about this, and reading about this great, battle that has taken place and then this great evil that that really started the whole thing the evil that was in the heart of Misha and then the same evil that would cause him to go after and hunt down the king of Edom and burn his bones the word the Lord gave me was contempt contempt so however this scenario unfolded just after this battle is not nearly as important for the reason God leveled this charge against Moab. Ultimately, Moab had disrespected the remains of a king, judged the king, and disgraced him by treating his memory and his bones with this word, contempt. So it says in Amos that he burned his bones to lime. So he symbolically made him common, nothing more than lime that makes fertilizer or cleanses grave sites or makes whitewash. So besides this, Moab disgraced his brother. He disgraced and made common the king of Edom, his brother. So this, this word contempt that the Lord gave me, this word has always kind of confused me because I, I think I've really not had the, the right understanding in mind. In Hebrew, the word for contempt is buzz, almost like a fly would buzz, B-U-Z. And it means disrespect, contempt, or shame. 
And there's only a few examples of, of this word being used in Scripture, but they paint a remarkable picture of what I think the Lord wants us to understand from this contempt that Misha had. So turn with me, we'll read these four places. First we'll look in Job chapter 12. If you're in the church's Bible, it will be on page 587. Job chapter 12. So Job chapter 12, um, Job is answering his critical friends and he's, he's going to tell them about how, how he understands what the Lord is doing. So in verse 21, Job says, He pours contempt on princes and disarms the mighty. He pours contempt on princes and disarms the mighty. So Job uses this word contempt to express how God treats kings commonly. Now what I'll tell you is that the use of this word contempt in relation to God is not a negative thing like we might think of contempt for us. See, the word for contempt means to look down on another from a higher position. So as God has this word contempt, God is in His rightful place over princes, and over Job. Here we understand that contempt means to treat the uncommon commonly. So contempt as it relates to us would be elevating ourselves above another and lowering someone under us. Next let's turn to Proverbs chapter 18. Over just a few books, if you're in the church's Bible on page 745, Proverbs chapter 18. So in Proverbs 18, verse 3, it reads, when the wicked comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes reproach. So according to this proverb, contempt is the result of wickedness. Contempt is the result of wickedness. It follows wickedness. It justifies wickedness. So out of the, the rationalizing and justification of wickedness comes the sensation and feeling of contempt. Next, let's turn to Daniel chapter 12. And the church's Bible will be on page 1037. Daniel chapter 12.
So in the last chapter of Daniel is this prophecy about Michael the archangel and um, about what will come in the last days. And we'll read verses 1 through 3. It says, And at that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So Daniel is describing what will happen in end times and that, that, that there will be a separation between those who are of light and those who are of darkness. Those who are of light will have everlasting Light, it says, excuse me, everlasting life. And then some will have shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are having everlasting contempt have been made common. Common as opposed to uncommon. Just as a parallel to holy as to unholy. Those who are and those who are set apart final place we'll, we'll read about this word buzz, this word contempt is in Mark chapter 9. So turn to the gospel of Mark chapter 9. We'll be on page So we'll read in Mark chapter 9, verse 12. It says, Then Elijah answered and told them, Indeed, excuse me, then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how it is written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be, and be treated with contempt. So Jesus suffered and was treated with contempt. He was misunderstood, he was disrespected, and therefore he was treated commonly right he was treated not as one set apart but as one who was common or even unholy by the result of wickedness not as one set apart by those who elevated themselves and lowered him it says that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt So, Moab's crime, Misha's crime, was physically murdering a king and showing no respect for his remains, burning his bones. But spiritually, his actions were contempt. We've just looked at these few different verses to try and understand a little bit, not of how we might define what contempt is, but how the Lord understands in the scriptures what contempt is. The Lord told me clearly that contempt is a spirit. And then a few seconds later, the Lord said, and you have it. This place that would cause Misha to have unsettled wrath, 
that he would first go into conflict with somebody where there was allegiance in Israel. And then he would chase down his brother Edom, his contempt. And the Lord said, this is not just a physical place, but a spirit. Now, I've not heard of a spirit of contempt before. I don't know, maybe y'all have. I've heard of the places that I have been delivered from, the places that seem common like control and pride and fear, but contempt seems altogether evil. And it is. Now, if, if the Lord's ever showed you a spirit, you may know that sometimes all at one moment, you can see the fullness of this spirit present in your life. And all within an instant, I could see the, the effect and the action of the Spirit in my life. So then I saw in the king of Moab a man filled with unexplainable disregard for the high place of another. I saw in myself a man who shared such similar disregard and disdain. You see, there is a difference between having God's direction and God's word, like Jehoraham, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom, and then feeling like one's actions and thoughts are justified by some physical reason or feeling. You remember how David was anointed king. And David is anointed king, and for a great period of time of of ten some odd years, certainly a good chunk of my life and even yours, he was waiting on the Lord's word to be fulfilled. The person who had once strapped his armor on David and wanted to protect him from battle, the person who had once welcomed David into his court to play the harp before him, this person now chased David and threatened his life at every turn. Yet David, knew better. He knew that although God had anointed him to be king one day, Saul was still Yahweh's anointed, the one that God had established for power and was still in power. He knew he was off limits. He knew that God would judge him for killing his anointed. See, like Saul, see, Saul, like Misha, the king of Moab, Saul was angry and jealous of David, and he even believed himself justified and right and determined to kill David himself. You could easily think that if anyone was justified, it would be David, right, to take Saul's life. But David was the man after God's own heart. He let God be in charge, and David fled and avoided harm to Saul in many instances. So, kind of funny that I've never really understood this idea of contempt of court, right? I, I, I kind of get it. You watch shows where there's somebody and, and they're obviously out of line, but it's always levied that they will be removed for contempt of court. But now I see exactly what's going on here in a courtroom. See, Amos is actually going to use a lot of court-like language because God is really the judge and the jury, and we are those trying to defend ourselves. 
See, because to be content means to, to be incontent means to refuse to recognize authority, to disregard something that should be taken into account. So to be in contempt of court means that that gavel has been slammed with warning again and again and again. And so one who refuses to recognize this higher authority or the office or the judge that they must be removed. We might have contempt for people, for systems, for environments, for governments, for rules, for leaders, for spouses, for friends, for family, for bosses, for neighbors, for newspaper articles, or even spirits themselves. Contempt doesn't have to seem loud or externally outrageous. It can be soft, seem generous, seem humble. That's how cunning this spirit of contempt is. And contempt relies on and it enlists the help of other spirits. In my case, it was enlisting spirits I'd been set free from like pride and control and fear. And it's not easy to see how those spirits would possess a man like this to do the things that he had done. Contempt comes in all forms and can be elicited in many ways. In a text message, over the news, while a friend tells a story with a sigh of disgust and eye roll of judgment or with the clench of a fist. If we want to know where contempt lies and if we have it, the Lord will tell us. If we're not ready for that and we want to start, it's likely that our friends or our our spouses and those close to us can see contempt a mile away. It's more obvious than we might think. The Lord began to give me this understanding on Wednesday morning, just a few days ago. And it has been an incredibly long three days. I have felt the enemy's dial turned up about as high as I've ever felt it. And that is the goal of the enemy, right? When the Lord begins to reveal truth in our lives, the enemy's goal is to destroy that truth, to destroy its power. Because once I could recognize that I had this spirit and its power in my life, I knew how hard it would be to truly leave it. I didn't want to stay in it. We rarely would recognize that we want to stay in a spirit, but part of me felt so justified. Not for the spirit, but for my actions and my thoughts against those that I was in battle with spiritually. This morning, the Lord told me as clearly as I have ever heard him, how dare you? How dare I? How dare I not only have this spirit, but how dare I remain in this spirit? How dare I justify my thoughts and my actions that could not be of the Holy Spirit of God? So the Lord had me study this word for contempt some more. This word booze um, or buzz comes from a verb 
that sounds exactly the same, but it's spelled just a little different in Hebrew. And the verb means to utterly excuse me, to utterly disrespect, to utterly despise, or to utterly scorn. So contempt, as we've talked about tonight, and I believe contempt as the spirit that exists and as the spirit that Misha had, this is a noun. And as we've talked about, nouns come from verbs. Nouns are the result of verbs. So contempt, as I believed I've had it, is the feeling or result of action having been done to decide to disrespect, to decide to despise or to decide to scorn. See, I have not found myself in this spirit of contempt by accident. I have not wandered off over here into accident by accident, having contempt for those that I've had it, having contempt for the things that I read, having contempt for those who lead. I have had contempt because I have chosen to despise those things, chosen to scorn and disregard. This morning... I was set free and delivered from this spirit. All day long, I have felt the physical and spiritual relief, and the word gave me a word over this, of the chip on my shoulder. The chip that has been on my shoulder like a thorn in my side, right? The chip that has been on my shoulder my whole life for things that I disagree with, things that I don't like, people I don't like, bosses I don't like, people that are in power that I don't like. This chip in my shoulder that has been weighing me down has been weighing down the Lord's strength for me to lift up my hands to Him and Him alone. And I have been set free from this chip on my shoulder. In Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, He says, You have heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Jesus does not give us the example of places that we can have cause to be angry with our brother or cause that we can murder unrighteously. But I believe that we can be delivered from a spirit of contempt that holds us from the fullness that God has and holds us from being humble servants of the Most High King. Amen.